Welcome back into ESPN Radio. Christian Gokel, glad to have you with us here as we are getting ready for a huge weekend between the Mets and the Braves in the NL East. To break it all down with us, a guy that you hear on your television nightly as he is the Bally Sports pay-by-pay announcer for your Atlanta Braves. Chip Carey, kind enough to take some time with us here. What I know, man, is a, a very busy weekend, so we appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Glad to be with you. Now, uh, obviously not the result you wanted in the first game of the series as they fall uh, last night. You have Kyle Wright, guy who's been just rock solid for the Atlanta Braves all season, gives up six earned runs. But coming into this, it feels like the Braves have been right there with the Mets, kind of a 50-50 split so far this season. What is it about uh, the team from New York this year that's given the Braves so much trouble? Well, they're a good team. Uh, that's, that's uh, I think, something we've seen uh, all summer long. Look, they built a 10-and-a-half game lead in the division. As you said, it's now four-and-a-half games. Uh, but the Braves have 11 games head-to-head with the Mets. You mentioned we've got a very busy weekend. Four more games left up here in New York with Ian Anderson pitching tonight. Uh, look, these two teams are built somewhat differently, but the results have been very similar. They have excellent starting pitching. They have terrific bullpens. Uh, the Braves hit more home runs than the Mets. The Mets make a little more contact than the Braves do. Uh, and I, as I said, uh, last night's game, disappointing as it may have been, sort of summed up how the Braves have played all year. They had a chance to tie the game late. They got a big home run to pull to within a couple of runs, and they always seem to give even the best of closers uh, quite a finish. They came just a little short last night, but uh, we're optimistic that the Braves will rally and rebound tonight, even up the series, and unleash our bullpen against their guys in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings, we hope, here in Game 2. Yeah, Ian Anderson on the mound for the Braves tonight. And he's a guy uh, who struggled a little bit, and it's kind of been throughout his whole career, right? Just getting out of those first couple of innings. When you've uh, spoken with Brian Snitker about this and some of the other guys around the team, what is it about those early innings that they think gives Ian Anderson so much trouble? Uh, it's just one of those quirky things. You know, Tom Glavin had that same problem and ended up winning 300-plus games and going to the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying that's going to be Ian's fate or put that kind of pressure on him. But uh, at times, you know, he, he's been very good in the early innings. Um, a couple of starts ago, what we noticed is he really was a two-pitch pitcher. Uh, fastball and changeup. Teams were not swinging at his changeup. His fastball was not being thrown with a whole lot of confidence or conviction or more or effectively for strike one or strike two. And then uh, hitters would just sit back and wait for a pitch in the strike zone, and they'd whack it. That's exactly what happened. Uh, in his last start, it was immediately noticeable. Throwing his fastball early in the count for strikes, breaking out his curveball, which makes that changeup, his out pitch, so much more effective. And to Ian's credit, he said, look, I, I just kind of had a mindset where I said, the heck with it. I'm just going to throw my game. I'm going to go out and I'm going to pitch. I'm going to attack hitters instead of nibbling around the edges of the strike zone. So uh, whether confidence leads to better results or better results lead to more confidence, that's the old baseball chicken and egg question. Uh, but you can't complain at all about what Ian did in his last outing. Six innings of one-hit shutout ball with nine strikeouts and under 100 pitches. So uh, for a guy that needed a confidence boost and needed a bump going into a big series against a big divisional opponent, uh, the Mets, I think Ian Anderson has that, and I can't wait to see him go to work tonight. And again, we're catching up with Bally Sports pay-by-pay announcer Chip Carey for the Atlanta Braves. And of course, we have the doubleheader coming up tomorrow at 12.30, start for Bally's, and then the Game 2 coverage will start at 6.30 p.m. there. When you look at how Brian Snickers approached these doubleheaders before, typically uh, it's a guy like Charlie Morton, just his seniority uh, is the guy who's going to get the nod if he's up in the rotation. But how with the lineup, how has Brian Snitker approached doubleheaders? From an offensive standpoint? Yes. 
I, I think it'll, hot hitters play. Uh, you know, it's a split double header, so there will be time off in between games. So you might see a traditional back-to-back lineup of your regulars going uh, head-to-head against whoever the Mets throw at the Braves uh, in that uh, double dip starting tomorrow. Uh, look, we're at the point in the season now where it's a sprint. Uh, the Braves take great pride as an organization in knowing that the games they play in March, April, May, and June uh, and into July hopefully lead to meaningful and important games in August and September. We don't really have the luxury now of resting guys and trying to save bullets for uh, later in the season, especially when you play uh, the team that you're trying to hunt down in the divisional race, the Mets. So, uh, look, the guys know that. They're rested. They're ready. Uh, I think they're up for the challenge. And, look, if you win tonight, you win game one, then you get greedy. You try to sweep doubleheaders and make up a lot of ground. Uh, the guys are up for the challenge. They're in a stretch of, I think, 23 games in 21 days. The Mets are in a stretch of 27 games in 25 games. This is go time for all of the major league teams in August and September. And the importance of these games, I think, supersedes rest for both managers, both teams, and I think that'll be reflected in the lineups tomorrow. Now the Braves, as you mentioned, four and a half games back in the NL East, and this series could go a long way to deciding that because if something catastrophic happens and the Braves lose two or three in a row here, all of a sudden that that lead can balloon for the New York Mets. How important is it inside of this clubhouse for them to defend that division title? Because they're going to make the playoffs, but I have to imagine that's something significant. Well, you'd like to win your division, and you'd like to have, if not the first rec- best record, the second best record, because that means you get a bye in the first round, and you can set up your pitching staff. I think uh, the challenge of being the third best division winner and one of the wild card teams is uh, you've got to use all your starting pitching, your best starters in the first round, which may make them unavailable in the early rounds of the next division should you advance. The one advantage for the Braves is at the moment they currently own the top wild card spot, which means they would host that playoff series, all three games, uh, at Truist Park, and that's if the Braves finishes the wild card. But to your bigger point, uh, this team has remarkable mental strength. They don't get wrapped up in, oh, we've got to have a winning series, or we've got to take four out of five. They worry about winning today. And the fact of the matter is, the Braves had a ton of divisional games left, more than the Mets. Uh, The Braves, after this series with New York, still have seven games left with the Mets. All seven of those will be in Atlanta, including the final three home games of the year. And as we saw starting June 1st, this team uh, was able to shave a ten and a half game deficit down to about three four games in a, in a week and a half two weeks so that's the beauty of baseball you, you don't worry about uh, making up five games in two months you worry about going one and oh today and I think that's really served Brian Snitker and the Braves well over the last four division winning seasons uh, in the National League East and I, I'm pretty confident that's their approach now even with this uh, uh, four and a half game deficit to the New York club. Chip Carey of Bally Sports kind enough to take some time with us and, and you mentioned that mental fortitude and I have to imagine uh, a lot of that comes from Brian Snicker, right? It never really, unless somebody's plunking Ronald Acuna, it doesn't seem like he gets too hot. He's always really even keel, and I've loved that about him uh, since he's taken over a guy who has just spent decades with this organization. Is he getting his just due uh, from the Atlanta fan base? Because I got to feel like man's already got a championship and just consistently taking this team deep and deep into the playoffs. I mean, he, when we look back on it, might be one of the greatest coaches to ever come through the city. I think he is. Uh, look, and this has been with no disrespect, he has as many world titles as Bobby Cox. I yeah. mean, that's, that's saying something in, in Atlanta history. Uh, you know, he coached for many years with Bobby. He's still a very dear friend and confidant of Bobby Cox. I think many of the same things that made Bobby successful are things that Brian Snicker inherited and have been carried on through the Braves farm system, starting with Bill Lucas and Henry Aaron and Jim Beecham and Bobby Dews and all the great coaches who uh, served here over the last, you know, 30, 40 years. He's patient to a fault. 
Uh, he, he understands how hard it is to play, and those of us who didn't, I think, are guilty of not getting that. It's really hard to win a major league game. It's really hard to hit a baseball. It's really hard yeah. to get big leaders out from the mound. And I think understanding the difficulty of that, in Brian's case, is a, uh, as he's called himself, not a very good uh, minor league uh, catcher or a minor league hitter, uh, he gets it. He knows that it's a process. And if you stick with the process over the end of time, you will figure out where you are and you will end up where you're supposed to be. And you know, last year at this time, we were muddling around around 500, not sure of what direction the Braves were going to go. They took off, and I think this team is certainly capable of that. They're better on paper than they were last year, and that's saying a lot, seeing as how they won a world championship. But make no mistake about it. The division is better. The Phillies are better. The Mets are better. The Padres got a whole lot better. The Cardinals are better. It's going to be a wonderful pennant race, not just for the divisional championship, but for the wild card races as well over these final seven weeks. And the Braves like the position they're in for sure. Chip, finally here, a couple of guys that have been really impressive, and there's obviously immense talent on this team coming off of a World Series championship, but just strictly for this year, Michael Harris, how impressive has it been to see him come up and just basically slide in as an elite major league center fielder? Because you sit next to a guy uh, in Jeff Francoeur who had kind of that meteoric rise when he came up, but he's a guy who knows just how hard it is to maintain that. How impressive has it been to watch him? Very, especially since he's only had 43 games at Double A. Uh, now he did have the uh, year at the Braves alternate training site during the COVID year, where he got to see some of these major league caliber pitchers and, and hitters and learn from them, which, in a way, I think has helped accelerate the growth curve. But you know, this doesn't happen very often, and I think Michael Harris is sort of emblematic of the way the teams and broadcasters and coaches and managers and GMs are reevaluating the growth curve of players in the minor leagues. If you can play, you can play at any level. And what's been very impressive about Michael is, number one, his defense. He solidified that. And number two, his approach at the plate. He's line to line. He can hit lefties. He comes up with big hits late in the game when the, when the game matters most. You know, his shoes say money, Mike. He has done that a number of times this year. He's a very good base runner. Uh, I think it's very exciting to see where he is now and what he's going to be. And uh, I think it's safe to say that Michael Harris, barring injury, is going to be a fixture for the Braves in the outfield for a long, long time. And, uh, again, just more tips of the cap to the Braves' developmental system for draft him, getting him, and getting him here quick. The other guy, Austin Riley, maybe the, the I don't know, Spencer Strider might give him a run for his money, but the biggest quads on the team for sure. Uh, a, a guy who has just been unbelievable, because we were laughing about this before the season started last year. It, it was Johan Camargo or Austin Riley for third base, and now that just seems like such a distant thought. I mean, he's got to be top two or three in the MVP race, right? He's in the race with uh, 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 Paul Goldschmidt of the Cardinals for sure. Uh, look, Austin Riley, you're right. Uh, last year in April, you know, he won the job out of spring training because of the power, all the work that he and Chipper Jones had done. But he got out of the gate slowly, and uh, you know, you need power at the third base position. And there were some people who were wondering, do the Braves need to go make a change and go make a trade and get a third baseman? Well, the old saying, the best trades are the ones you don't make, certainly applies with Riley. He got hot. He stayed hot. I think he's got 50 homers or something like that over his last 162 games. Uh, the best thing about Riley is he's a great kid. He's a really, really good person. Uh, the contract aside, he's, he's from the South. He wants to be a Brave. He stayed here. And he knows that the, the contractual flexibility, at least I think he does, uh, that he has permitted the organization is going to allow them to go out and do other things so that they can keep a core of really, really good players together for a long, long period of time. And uh, I've said of Austin Riley, he's uh, Troy Gloss's body with Scott Rowland's <laughs> athleticism. Uh, he's quickly beginning to add Chipper Jones' clutch 
uh, offensive performance to that mix uh, and melange in third base as well. We're glad to have him, super kid. I'm happy for all of his success, and make no mistake, as Austin Riley goes, this Braves team is going to go, and I can't wait to see where he takes us the rest of the way. I love the Troy Gloss comparison because he, he may not have had the best batting average, but I still remember that grand slam in the rain. I don't know if I've ever seen a uh, baseball hit that hard. Chip Carey, Valley Sports, kind enough to take some time with the ship. We'll be watching along uh, the rest of the season, man, and into the playoffs. Thank you so much for taking the time today. My pleasure. We'll see you at 6.30 tonight on Valley Sports.